Welcome back again to our podcast, Current Controversies and Consensus in UTI. I am Dr. Pamela Kushner, and I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming back Dr. Sonali Advani. Thank you for having me back. Last time, we spoke about uncomplicated UTI symptoms, patient presentation, and treatment options in the community setting. This time around, we are going to shift our focus to another type of urinary infection, the recurrent UTI. Yes, we have a lot on our plate today, so let's get started, Sonali. How do you define a recurrent UTI? Well, according to the AUA, CUA guidelines, a recurrent UTI consists of two separate definitions, two episodes of acute bacterial cystitis within a six-month time period, or at least three episodes within one year. The guidelines further specify that each infection must have a separate cause from one another, and all signs and symptoms must be resolved between episodes. Complicated recurrent UTIs are another story altogether. These patients usually have different risk factors that contribute towards development of these infections outside of normal scenarios, which include alteration to the anatomy or physiology of the urologic tract. To get a better understanding, let's turn to this episode's patient case. Sonali, would you kindly introduce today's patient? Of course, Pam. Gigi is a 36-year-old female patient presenting today with a complaint of urinary urgency, frequency, and dysuria. She has never seen this clinician before and expresses that she has been unable to perform normally at her job as a long-distance truck driver due to these symptoms. She does not recall a fever or other constitutional symptoms and reports no flying tenderness or pain. Gigi does not have a history of surgery or anatomical and functional abnormalities. She is sexually active and is not currently engaged in a monogamous relationship. She is currently on oral birth control, uses spermicide, and expresses that she most often experiences a UTI following sexual encounters. Her last UTI was six weeks ago, positive for E. coli but symptoms resolved shortly following completion of a course of nitrofuran antibiotic. Gigi described that she had another UTI earlier in the year as well and was prescribed 50 milligrams of nitrofuran antibiotic daily prophylactically. The nitrofuran antibiotic seemed to work for Gigi for three months without a UTI episode, so Gigi decided to stop taking it but her UTI episodes returned over the last few months. So this is quite clearly a case of recurrent UTI. There are three infections within a one-year window, and this is Gigi's second UTI in a six-month period. I would agree with you, Pam. We know that Gigi has multiple sexual partners and may possibly retain urine due to the nature of her job. These are two potentially modifiable risk factors identified by the AUA-CUA to increase the risk of recurrent infection. But what are some other risk factors, Sonali? It's quite likely that Gigi's not drinking much water during this long-distance driving, possibly not urinating frequently, both of which increase her risk of UTIs. Other modifiable risk factors include the use of spermicides, 
As far as non-modifiable risk factors are concerned, we know that Gigi is a female patient, which predisposes her towards infection, but is not yet in postmenopausal age. Thank you. Other non-modifiable risk factors would also include pathogen virulence factors, correct? Correct. Now, based on symptom presentation and risk factors present, our next focus should be on what tests should be performed or collected. Sonali, what do you think? So after obtaining a complete history, including lower urinary tract symptoms, the AUA CUA guidelines recommend performing a pelvic exam in order to confirm there are no abnormalities that can contribute towards this recurrent UTI state involving examining the deep musculature structure and, of course, looking for potential neurologic defects. Additionally, these patients also need a focused neurologic exam as well as evaluation for incomplete bladder emptying to rule out occult retention. Yes, I make sure to routinely perform these pelvic exams in the office. You never know what you're going to find, and the patients themselves may be entirely unaware that this is even an issue. Absolutely, Pam. However, regardless of pelvic exam, a diagnosis requires at least two culture-proven symptomatic episodes within six months per AUA-CUA guidelines in order to certify that this occurrence is in fact related to previous recurrent UTI instances. So in this case, AUA-CUA recommends a urine culture should be ordered for Gigi. Am I right? That's correct, Pam. So let's return to our case. The clinician in this case decides to prescribe a sulfonamide and orders a urine culture for Gigi while awaiting urine culture results. The clinician explains to her that this may be a case of recurrent UTI given her medical history and recent six-week remission. Gigi's urine culture results positive for E. coli. The clinician then makes a diagnosis of recurrent UTI based on her presentation and history and tailors antibiotic therapy based on susceptibility. Sonali, I have a question for you. Do you think it's important that the clinician tells the patient that this is a case of recurrent UTI? I think that's a great question. I think it's important for clinicians to communicate the diagnosis of recurrent UTI with the patient, um, especially since when we reviewed the case, we saw that the patient had stopped taking her prophylaxis within three months. So it's important to communicate that she does have recurrent UTI and also explain to her that she needs to stay on prophylaxis for a certain period of time and explain what other measures she needs to institute in order to prevent future occurrences of recurrent UTI. So she has a better understanding of what is increasing her risk of recurrent UTI. Any thoughts on the progression in this patient case, Sonali? So reinfection with E. coli in this patient is not too surprising, as there seems to be a higher likelihood of reinfection with E. coli within six months of the previous infection. In a Finnish study from 1996, 44% of women ages 17 to 82 who had an E. coli-related cystitis ended up developing a recurrence within one year. As such, 
Gigi will need antibiotic therapy. But before we get into the weeds on appropriate therapeutic options, the AUA-CUA recommend collecting a urine analysis and urine culture. These should be collected prior to initiating treatment as the goal is to provide the most targeted therapy for the patient. Is checking urine cultures a guideline directed practice? Absolutely. The AUA-CUA recommend collection of urine cultures as there is a potential for the infection to be unrelated to the past recurrent UTI instances. Therefore, these tests are primarily performed to rule out any resistant isolates or new pathogens and confirm if empiric therapy is appropriate. So it doesn't mean that we delay empiric therapy. It's just used to help direct empiric therapy further. This has multiple benefits outside of the current treatment window as well, such as documentation of microbial history in this case, especially if Gigi decides to seek treatment elsewhere in the future. Those are excellent points, Sonali. So given this patient's history and job where patients like Gigi are frequently traveling across the country over long hours, this particular guideline recommendation I can see would be very helpful in providing patients and clinicians alike with the proper history going forward. Let's move on then to treatment. In cases of recurrent UTI, such as Gigi, the AUA-CUA recommends that first-line treatment is recommended for any symptomatic UTI in women. What would that include, Sonali? Glad you asked. Huh. Luckily, our choice of antibiotic is entirely the same as uncomplicated UTI for patients with recurrent uncomplicated UTIs, as we are not discussing recurrent complicated UTIs here. The first line agent of choice here would depend on the local antibiograms, but typically includes agents like nitrofuran antibiotic and sulfonamide, and also in some cases a phosphonic antibiotic. These agents are least likely to cause any potential collateral damage or have inferior efficacy as compared to second line agents like fluoroquinolones, or beta-lactams. The IDSA recommends using first-line options like nitrofuran antibiotics or sulfonamides where local resistant rates are lower than 20%. Additionally, phosphonic antibiotics appear to have inferior efficacy when compared to standard short-course regimens. Ideally, it would be reasonable to start with a nitrofuran antibiotic, given her long-distance driving. She may be driving regularly to areas where local resistance of sulfonamides exceeds 20%. I like taking into account that entire patient picture, Sonali. Thank you for that. So let's discuss the duration of therapy. We all know that antibiotics can be potent medications, and they're not without risks. Of course, you know, medications affect patients differently, but I believe we should be mitigating damage whenever possible. And the length of therapy is one of these avenues through which we can address this. For example, there are antibiotics which display minimal propensity for collateral damage and antimicrobial resistance, such as nitrofurin antibiotics. And for other agents like phosphonic antibiotics and sulfonamides, local resistant rates and efficacy may be called into question which is also the case with beta-lactams as a class. Sonali, what do you 
know about the guidelines with therapy durations? I'm glad you asked, as I was just about to get into that myself. The duration would depend on the antibiotic and would be similar to that for uncomplicated UTI. We didn't go into this a lot in episode one for uncomplicated UTI, but the duration is about three to seven days depending on the antibiotic choice. And we will get into those day ranges specifically as the details come out in our next episode. Back to our patient. The treating clinician consults the local antibiograms and finds that resistant rates for E. coli in the area are 23.6%. The clinician decides to forego treatment with the sulfonamide and instead opt for a nitrofuron 100 milligrams to be taken twice daily for five days. Gigi is nervous and she expresses that this therapy isn't going to work and that she will just have another UTI again. One thing I'd like to point out here is that it's not every day that we can access antibiograms in the community setting. But you can see here how important they can be in certain situations. Sonali, how available are they in the inpatient setting? Great question. Um, And you make some really good points about the antibiogram. So if you work at a large medical center, you can access your antibiograms usually through the um, electronic medical record. You may even have access through the microbiology laboratory or your pharmacy department. If you can't access it through them or you cannot reach them, then your ID physicians or pharmacists um, should have access to the antibiogram or can help you access the antibiogram. In the community, regional antibiograms are usually available online or through the local health department website. You can also contact them either by phone or by email, and get a copy of the antibiogram. Alternatively, you can contact your local labs and see if they will give you a copy of their antibiogram. Another overarching point is that resistant rates are variable based on geographic location, and clinicians should be conscious of that fact when they prescribe specific antibiotics. Understandably, Gigi's worried about further recurrence. She's already had multiple UTIs in the past 12 months, and she is tired of going to clinical offices. Clinicians need to work with our patients to keep them proactive by risk factor education to help prevention of further recurrent UTIs. This includes treatment with both antibiotic and non-antibiotic prophylaxis. Sonali, do you have any thoughts to add to this? Sure, let's start with the evidence surrounding antibiotic prophylaxis. We know that patients have previously found success with prophylactic antibiotics, which is corroborated by our treatment guidelines. In a systematic review of 11 studies comparing prophylactic antibiotics to placebo, AUA-CUA found that there was a significant reduction in recurrent UTIs. That's an interesting analysis. What about adverse event risk? What do both patients and clinicians need to know about these antibiotics adverse events? Obviously, antibiotic prophylaxis is associated with a risk of adverse events. When addressing which antibiotics are appropriate for prophylaxis, the AUA-CUA guidelines recommend nitrofuran antibiotics as the ideal first agent. 
It is important to highlight that this recommendation is based on efficacy of the agent in preventing UTI and not safety, however. Despite evidence that antibiotic prophylaxis may be beneficial in patients with recurrent UTIs, potential harms and adverse events related to prophylaxis have not been investigated, especially in older adults. Some data have shown that older adults who received antibiotic prophylaxis for UTIs experienced an increased risk for hospitalization, sepsis, and bloodstream infection, according to a recent study in clinical infectious diseases. So I have two questions for you, Sonali. Number one, what would be best for Gigi? And number two, what's the logic behind the duration of antibiotic prophylaxis regimens? Great question. Usually the duration for antibiotic prophylaxis as shared in the literature has ranged between six to 12 months. In clinical practice, however, the duration of prophylaxis has been highly variable ranging between three to six months and sometimes one year and sometimes even longer. However, there's always been periodic assessment and monitoring. Some women stay on continuous or post-coital prophylaxis for years to maintain the benefit with minimal adverse events. However, it should be noted that continuing prophylaxis for years is not evidence-based. So we know that Gigi experiences post-coital UTIs and this contributes to her recurrence. Off the discussed first-line agents, we would be looking at nitrofuran antibiotics, sulfonamide, or cephalosporin per AUA-CUA guideline recommendations. We would then ensure that she knows to take the single dose either immediately or after intercourse. Sonali, can you say something about cranberry supplements? Sure. So there have been studies done on cranberry products, and they've been discussed in the AUA-CUA guidelines um, extensively, but these studies have serious flaws, and most of them were not done systematically, and hence have received a grade C recommendation. The AUA-CUA has included a grade C recommendation that clinicians may offer cranberry prophylaxis to patients while recognizing that a placebo-controlled trial with a standard formulation is necessary to make a hardline decision. I'm going to also mention other prophylactic agents of interest that would include D-mannose, methenamine, and various herbal and dietary supplements. As you pointed out, Sonali, the evidence is scarce in this regard, and the guidelines could not make a recommendation for these agents' use due to lack of conclusive evidence. Pam, we seem to be running out of time for this episode. You are right, Sonali. It goes so quickly. But we'll wrap up our conversation here today then. There's a lot of interesting discussion. I thank you so much, Sonali, for joining me in this discussion. In the next episode, we're going to conclude our series with a discussion on patient and clinician perspectives and the expectations for the treatment of UTI along the overall patient journey. Look forward to seeing you then. Thank you. I'll see you next time.